Well, good morning, everyone. Good morning. If you'd open up a Bible to the book of Job, Job chapter 1 is where we're going to begin momentarily. Job, the first chapter. We're going to notice a couple of verses there that will help us to get started in our study this morning. Job chapter 1. And as you're turning there, let me say how good it is to see everyone this beautiful, yet very, very chilly Lord's Day morning. So glad that you were willing to to brave the cold. See lots of people bundled up and uh, trying to stay warm even while we're worshiping this morning. But just so glad that you're here as we have assembled together today for the purpose of offering worship unto Almighty God to give Him the glory and the praise and the honor that He is so deservedly due. And of course, one of the great benefits of doing that and doing that in the way that the Bible instructs is that we also are benefited from that. We are encouraged, we are strengthened, we are built up and lifted up, and I believe that that has been the case already this morning, and I pray that that will continue to be the case even now as we look into the Scriptures. In Job chapter 1, as all of the riches of Job are being recounted, the Bible tells us there in Job chapter 1 and in verse 4, Job 1 verse 4, his sons used to go and hold a feast in the house of each one on his day, And they would send and invite their three sisters to eat and to drink with them. Verse 5. And when the days of the feast had run their course, Job would send and consecrate them, and he would rise early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, It may be that my children have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus Job did continually. There's a lot of things that are very impressive about this man named Job. But one of the most impressive things about Job is his care and his concern for the souls of his children. As a father, as a parent, Job wanted to make sure that every base was covered. That he had done everything he could possibly do to ensure the spiritual well-being of his sons and his daughters. Which is why verse 5 says that at the end of every feast, Job would go the extra mile by offering sacrifices and intercessory prayer unto God on behalf of his children. That perhaps my children have committed some sin that I'm not aware of. Perhaps that maybe their inner life, their heart is not what it ought to be. And so I want to go to God. I want to plead with God and beg of Him and go on their behalf as often as I can. Now, of course... You and I, we don't offer burnt offerings on behalf of our children today. But you know what? I want to be just as concerned for the spiritual standing of my children before God, just the same as I am believing that every single one of you want to make sure of the spiritual standing of your children before God. Which is why I do, and I'm convinced that you do, offer intercessory prayer on behalf of our sons and our daughters. The question though is, as we think about praying for our children, the question is, what kind of praying exactly are we doing? What exactly are we saying when we approach the Father? What exactly are we saying and entreating God about as we pray for our kids? Beyond just praying that someday they'll grow up and become Christians, and beyond the fact that we'll ask God to protect them from all of the violence and the wickedness in this world, what are we praying for specifically? as it pertains to our children. Job here, at a time when the world was very violent and very wicked, Job was not praying, Lord, please spare my children from the raiders and from the sword. No, that was not Job's main concern. 
Job's main concern was for the spiritual welfare of his sons and his daughters. And I want to be like Job. I want to do like Job did. This year, our preaching theme has been on parenting and how we can parent in such a way that will please and honor and glorify God. I've talked already this year about some things that we need to teach our kids about prayer. I preached that sermon back in September. But now it's time to maybe talk about some things that we as moms and dads that we need to be praying for as it pertains to our kids. And as we talk about that this morning, I I want to accomplish a, a couple of different things. First of all, I want to help us as we talk about praying for our kids. I want to help us to defeat one of the greatest enemies of prayer. And that is cliched praying. That is where we just kind of mumble and we repeat the, the same tired and worn out phrases without really giving thought to what it is that we're actually saying. And when it comes to praying for our kids, we want to do better than just recite some canned expression. Lord, please bless my children with your precious love and care. No, I... I want to do better than that. I want to talk to God about the deep and great concerns that I have for my child. And I want to talk about that from the heart. And then secondly, as well, we want to make sure that our prayers to God are scriptural. Sure don't want to pray something for my child that's outside of the will of God or is against the will of God. Don't want to be involved in anything like that. Which is why what I want to do is I want to open up my Bible. I want to see what God says is His will for my child, and then I want to pray that those things will come to pass in the life of my child. I want to be specific, and I want to be scriptural as I pray for my kids. This morning what I want to do is I want to give you four passages. Four passages to pray for your kids. I hope maybe you'll think about jotting these down or just highlighting them in your Bible. Because I do believe that these passages provide an excellent foundation for just a solid prayer list because these ideas, they all come directly from the Word of God. That means then that we can read them and then we can pray them. We can pray them for our kids. Are you ready for that? First of those passages is in Proverbs chapter 1. If you're here in Job, it's not far to Proverbs. Job, Psalms, Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 1. This is the wisdom of Solomon. And I want you to notice how Solomon begins this book of wisdom. In Proverbs chapter 1, kind of a lengthy reading here, beginning in verse 10. In Proverbs 1 and in verse 10, Solomon says, My son, my son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. If they say, come with us and let us lie and wait for blood, let us ambush the innocent without reason. Like Sheol, let us swallow them alive and whole. Like those who go down to the pit. We shall find all precious goods. We shall fill our houses with plunder. Throw in your lot among us. We will all have one purse. My son, do not walk in the way with them. Hold back your foot from their paths. For their feet run to evil. And they make haste to shed blood. For in vain is a net spread in the sight of any bird. But those men lie in wait for their own blood. They set an ambush for their own lives. Such are the ways of everyone who is greedy for unjust gain. It takes away the life of its possessors. I believe that this first passage helps us to see the importance of praying for who our children choose as their friends. Now certainly as we talk about our children's friends, 
We certainly cannot say that everything that goes wrong spiritually in the life of a child, in the life of a young person, that that can be blamed on their peers entirely. That's not so. But Solomon does correctly identify that who our kids run with, who they are around, who they associate with, that that does have a powerful effect on their lives. And it is of interest to me that of all the things, all the topics that Solomon explores throughout uh, the book of Proverbs, all the things that he warns about, about sexual sin, about alcohol, about lying lips, Solomon wants to begin all of that by saying, you be careful who you run around with. You be careful who you cast your lot with. You be careful who your friends are. Friends do have an enormous effect on our children. In fact, I read recently where a drug expert, he wrote the following. He said, if your child has no friends using marijuana, then your kids probably are not using marijuana. If your child has one friend using marijuana, your kid may be using marijuana. If your child has many friends using, your kid is using whether you know it or not. The Bible says that evil companions corrupt good morals. Period. Few good things have happened whenever godly people, particularly young people, decide to yoke themselves, to join themselves with people who are of this world and who are absolutely wicked. And the Bible just confirms that truth again and again and again. Think, for example, about, think about Samson. What was Samson's problem? Samson's problem was that he's always hanging around Philistine women. People who were ungodly, people who were wicked and didn't care about the Lord. Why couldn't Samson find a good, godly woman? Somebody who cared about God's things. Think of all the good that Samson could have accomplished as a judge. The things he could have helped Israel with if he'd had a good wife. Somebody who encouraged him to serve the Lord instead of palling around with wicked women, Philistine women, prostitute women who encouraged him to cave into his fleshly desires. You contrast the idea of Samson and his friends to those three friends that we read about in the book of Daniel. Would you find Daniel chapter 3? In Daniel 3, hold your place in Proverbs. In Daniel chapter 3, this is the account of Nebuchadnezzar's golden image being set up. And there was an edict that was issued that everyone was to fall down and they were to worship that statue. Well, Daniel 3 tells us about three young men who said, No, we're not doing that. We're not going to worship that statue. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You know that story. Let me ask you about those three guys. What if that story was just about... Shadrach. What if it was just about Abednego? Abednego is having to go this alone. He's having to do a solo here. And he's having to stand up and do what's right while everybody else around him is doing what's wrong. On their own, would any one of those guys on their own have been able to bear up under that pressure? I don't know. I can't say one way or the other. But you know what Daniel 3 tells us? Daniel 3 tells us they were not alone. They were together. And look at what they said to Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel chapter 3, verse 16. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this be so, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and He will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. 
Boy, I tell you, there is power in that word, we. And I do believe that it is easier, not easy, but it is easier to do what is right together than it is to try to do what's right on your own. What the Bible wants us to see, moms and dads, is that much of our children's eternal destiny, while it is forged at home, it is tested out in the real world. It is tested out there where you won't be, where I won't be. I don't get to hold their hand all the way through every step of life. But you know who will be with them out there? Their friends. The people that they associate with on a day-to-day basis. The people that are their pals. That's who they will be with. And those friends can do one of two things. Those friends can either encourage them to serve the Lord faithfully like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did for each other. Or their friends will serve as a stumbling block and a hindrance to their faithfulness to God. And that's why we need to pray about that. And we need to pray about the decisions that our kids will make in choosing their friends. Whether that's the friends they choose on the playground. Whether that's the friends they choose in middle school and high school. Whether that's the friends that they choose and pal around with in college. And even beyond that, we want our kids... Not to be mesmerized by all the troublemakers who seem to get all kinds of attention. We don't want them to think that the rebellious kids, the ones who are creating all kinds of ruckus, that somehow those are the cool kids. No. Solomon tells us in Proverbs chapter 1 that those are the kinds of friends who will lead them away from God and away from the path of righteousness. While I certainly understand that there are never enough Christians at school We still want our kids to be around some other kids who at least have some measure of respect for God, don't we? Some kids who we would call good kids, moral kids, who come from homes where there's some rules and there's respect for authority and there's some principles of morality in that home. That's what we want for our kids. And if that's what we want for our kids, then shouldn't we be praying about that? How about we actually just pray right out of Proverbs chapter 1. Dear Lord, Help my children to recognize sinners who would entice them to do evil and help them to turn away, to not walk in the way with them. Father, bless my children with the opportunity to develop quality friendships with people who will be an encouragement to them. Help them, Father, that when I'm not there, a good friend will be there to help them to do what's right. That's good praying. That's praying right out of the Scriptures. That is God's will. Pray Proverbs chapter 1 for your kids. Pray it when they're small. Pray it even when they're grown and even when they're out of the home. That's good praying. Passage number 2. Passage number 2 in the New Testament, in 1 Timothy chapter 6. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, I'm looking right here near the very end of the epistle. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, read with me beginning in verse 17. In 1 Timothy 6 and in verse 17, Paul writes the following. 1 Timothy 6, 17. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. I want to zero in there on verse 18 because it is from that verse that we want to pray 
that our children will be rich in good works, that they will be generous and ready to share. And I think this is probably just about the most appropriate time of the year to make this particular point. Because we are coming right off of the heels of what is fast becoming America's favorite holiday, Black Friday. Is there anything more American than when people trample over others for cheap goods mere hours after being thankful for what they already have? That's America for you. You know, we live in a time of amazing prosperity. And as a result of that, our children are getting to grow up in a generation that is becoming more accustomed to nice houses, nice clothes, and nice cars, and eating out a lot, and getting the best toys, and having the newest technology, and doing all kinds of fun things, having the most stuff, they're becoming more accustomed to that than any generation before them. And in one sense, that's that's a blessing. We ought to thank God for that. But you know what? In another sense, in a very real sense, that can also be a curse. Material prosperity can be a problem for growing real, deep spirituality. I'll show you that in the Bible. Look in Luke chapter 8. Hold your place in Timothy. In Luke chapter 8, this is the parable of the sower. And moms and dads, when you think about it, that's what we're trying to be, aren't we? We're trying to be sowers in our children's lives. We're trying to plant the Word of God deep in their hearts. And what we want is we want for that seed to get deep into their hearts We want it to germinate, we want it to grow up, and we want it to bear fruit for the Lord. But is it possible that there's some things that could get in the way from that happening? Absolutely there's some things that could get in the way. Well, what kind of things could get in the way? Well, Jesus talks about some of those things. Specifically here in Luke chapter 8, He talks about thorns. Well, what are those thorns, Jesus? Well, look at Luke 8 verse 14. As for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way... They are choked by the cares and the riches and the pleasures of life and their fruit does not mature. Let me ask you moms and dads, is it possible? Is it possible that our kids could lack a depth of spirituality because the Word of God has been choked by all of their stuff, all of the cares and the riches and the pleasures of this world? That our kids have maybe been led to believe that life is all about getting. Life is all about acquiring. Life is all about obtaining things. That somehow happiness can maybe actually be purchased with the swipe of a Visa card. Could it be that we are inadvertently teaching them to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches? I think there are many solutions to that problem. And probably right at the top of that list would be thanksgiving. You want to fix this problem that Jesus talks about here in Luke chapter 8? We need to have a heart of gratitude. That's a huge step in the right direction. Talked about that at length last Sunday night. Where we constantly are acknowledging that God is the giver of all that we enjoy. And we need to thank Him for all of these great blessings. Certainly not teaching that it's wrong for us to have stuff or to even have lots of stuff. We just need to be thankful for those things. That's a great place to start. But can I suggest that maybe we we take it up a notch? Let's do one better. How about we we teach our kids about generosity and demonstrate generosity? Generosity, I think, means giving stuff away. And in our society, that idea of giving stuff away, that that just runs completely counter to the culture, doesn't it? Give away your money? 
Give away your stuff? Are, are you mental? What's wrong with you? What you're supposed to be doing is getting more stuff, not giving the stuff away. But I want you to think about it, Mom and Dad. Whenever we give, we are like God. You ever thought about that? God so loved the world that He gave. He gave His only begotten Son, John 3.16. When we give as well, we are like Jesus. Jesus, think about it. Jesus never charged admission for anyone to hear Him teach. Jesus never charged a fee for anybody who wanted a healing. And as best as I can tell, most of the time whenever people came to Jesus and they had requests and they wanted Him to do something, most of the time, Jesus did it without expecting anything in return. And that attitude of generosity seems to have rubbed off on Jesus' followers, on His disciples. Look in Acts chapter 3, I'll show you this. In Acts chapter 3, Peter and John, they're on their way to the temple and there they see a lame man at the gate begging as he begs day by day. I want you to notice that Peter and John do not do like so many of us do when we see people panhandling and begging for change. They do not hide their eyes and just keep walking on by as fast as they can. No, Peter and John, actually Peter seems, Peter seems actually kind of apologetic over the fact that he cannot give this man the things that he's asking for. Look in Acts 3, look in verse 6. In Acts 3 and verse 6, Peter said, I have no silver and gold. I don't, I wish I had some money to give to you, buddy, but I don't have any money. But what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Peter gave to that man what he was able to give. Giving, sharing, helping others who are less fortunate than we are. I do not want my child to grow up and come to a place where she's just a materialistic grabber, always just consuming more and more and more. What I want is I want her to be thankful to God for what she has. And then secondly, I want her to be ready to give it away in order to serve and to help others. And so, if I want that for my child, I want to pray about that. And I want to come right out of 1 Timothy chapter 6 as I offer that prayer. A passage that, I'll remind you, is talking to people like you and me. It's easy for us to read 1 Timothy chapter 6 and say, oh, that's talking about rich folks. That's talking about the millionaires and the billionaires. Folks, we are rich. Compared to the rest of this world, we are rich people. And so don't tell me this verse doesn't apply to you. We have much of this world's goods. And so I want to pray right of this passage. I want to focus right in on verse 18. Dear Lord, help my child to do good and to be rich in good works. Lord, give my child opportunities to be generous and willing to share. Lord, help my child to even know the pain of giving up self, giving up what self wants in order to assist others so that she might know in some small way the pain that you felt when you gave up Jesus, your only begotten Son. Pray that your child will be generous. You pray that passage and pray it often because I am convinced it is a prayer that will lead and reap great and huge dividends. Passage number 3, it's in Ephesians chapter 2. In Ephesians chapter 2, in one of the most marvelous passages in all the New Testament, one of the most important passages in all the New Testament, in Ephesians chapter 2, I'm reading here in verses 8, 9, and 10. In Ephesians 2, in verses 8, 9, and 10, Paul says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. 
And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not a result of work so that no one may boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. I'm going to use this passage to pray, surprisingly, we're going to pray about our children's self-esteem. Now the very term self-esteem has become a buzzword in our world today. And as a result, pop psychologists and all kinds of so-called experts, they jump on that and they've taken that idea and they've went just far afield from what self-esteem really ought to be all about. I've read read all kinds of nonsense about the self-esteem movement. read recently about a school in California that actually forbade the playing of tag on the playground. Why, you may ask? Well, because when you play tag, somebody has to be it. And to be it, well, that might damage a child's self-esteem. I don't even know what to say about that. I don't even have words for such nonsense. Now, while much of what is said about self-esteem these days is just really wrong-headed, much of it just has to do with temporarily pumping up kids' self-esteem and pride momentarily, that does not mean that self-esteem is somehow unimportant. Self-esteem is important. How we view ourselves is tremendously important in the kingdom of God. And kids who don't see themselves correctly and who do not value themselves as God values them oftentimes end up doing crazy things, sinful things, as they try to seek out some kind of attention and validation for their lives. And that's why Ephesians chapter 2 is so helpful here. Because Ephesians 2 provides for us a wonderful place for children, and I would say especially for teenagers, to understand their value and their worth in the eyes of God. Look at Ephesians 2 again. Look at verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Please don't get lost here. Needing a dozen qualifiers here about how we have to accept God's grace and how we need to be obedient to the gospel. All of that is absolutely true. We make all of those qualifiers. I know that. I trust that you know that. Grace does not nullify our need to respond to God's gift of salvation. But you know what? Once we get done with all of that discussion, all of those disclaimers, and I know we feel like we've got to say all that stuff because people have just misused Ephesians chapter 2. They've misused the concept of grace. When we get done saying all of that stuff, what's Ephesians 2.8 still say? It still says that we are saved by the grace of God. God initiated this process. God took the first step. And without God, we would be horribly and completely lost. Ephesians 2 verse 8 then teaches us that we are utterly dependent upon the Lord. That He loves us. That He wants us to be saved. And what a tremendous thing for people, particularly for children, to know that. Especially when you follow that with what verse 9 says. Not a result of works. You see, not only are we wholly dependent upon God who loves us and saves us by His grace, but verse 9 says we can't save ourselves. Then verse 10 says, for we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We've been saved for what? We've been saved to serve. 
God has a plan, a direction, a purpose for our lives that we would serve Him. Put all of that together and what do you got? You got, first of all, I'm a sinner. But I'm a sinner who God loves and who God wants to save. I cannot save myself. Verse 9 says that. But through Christ Jesus, God will save me so that I can then serve Him to be His workmanship. Can you find in all of Scripture a better platform, a better basis for real self-esteem than this passage? I believe that's pretty tough to talk. Because what that passage says is that passage says, I have value. I do. And I know that because God extends His grace even to me. Regardless of what other people say about me, regardless of what other people think about me, God extends His mercy and His grace to me. And I can't be pompous, I can't be proud, I can't think too highly of myself because I'm just a sinner. Verse 9, I can't save myself. But I do have a purpose. I do have direction, I do have a future. Verse 10, because by God's grace, I can be saved for good works. What an amazing set of verses to help our children understand exactly where they fit. And as they reach that age of accountability, to see themselves as God sees them. Isn't that the basis for real self-worth? I want my child to understand the fundamental concepts that this passage teaches. Number one, that God loves them. Number two, that they need God. And number three, that God has something for them to do. And so I want to pray for that. I'm going to pray for that right out of Ephesians chapter 2. I'm going to pray, dear Lord. Help my child to understand just how much you love her. Help her to know just how much you want her to be saved by your grace. Help her self-image to be rooted not in worldly standards, but in the gift of salvation. Help her to know that she was created for a purpose and that purpose is good works. To honor and glorify and praise you. What a wonderful thing to pray for as we help our kids to develop a proper sense of self-esteem. Finally then, let's return to the wisdom literature. Look in the book of Psalms now. In Psalm 25. In Psalm chapter 25, look with me in verse 21. In Psalm 25, in verse 21. There the psalmist writes, Psalm 25 verse 21. May integrity... Integrity and uprightness preserve me, for I wait for you. We want to talk to the Lord here about the value of honesty and integrity in the lives of our kids. One of the absolute cornerstones of Christianity is truth. Think about it. What does Jesus say that the devil is all about? Well, the devil is all about lies. He is a liar from the beginning and he is the father of all lies, John 8, 44. In contrast to that, Jesus describes himself in what way? I am the way, the truth, and the life, John 14, 6. In fact, it is Jesus who would say in John 17, verse 7, that his word is truth. Everything about Jesus, everything about God is truth. Truth. They are the embodiment of truth. So much so that Hebrews 6 verse 18 says that God cannot lie. It is impossible for God to lie. And so as a result, as a result, we trust the Lord. That's what that means. The fact that God is such the embodiment of truth, we can trust Him implicitly. 
We live our lives in view of the promises that He has made and we trust that every single word of those promises is true and will come to pass. And you know what? We want our kids to develop that same trait and quality in their lives. We want them to have the character of honesty and truth and integrity. We want their words and their actions to always demonstrate a character of integrity. First and foremost, we want them to do that because, number one, if they tell the truth, then that means that we can trust them. Teenagers, especially listen here. You want your moms and dads to trust you? Tell them the truth. Just always be honest. You'll find that the quotient level of trust just gets raised higher and higher and higher the more that you tell the truth. Because, see, if we can't trust you, everything else just breaks down. Truth is the glue that holds together any relationship, not just parent and child, but in every relationship. Got to have trust there. Furthermore, secondly, whenever my children love the truth, that will then protect them from false doctrine. You ever thought about that? That protects them from all the false doctrines that exist right now. And that will protect them from all the false doctrines that have still yet to even be invented. Because when they love the truth, then what are they always going to do? They're always just going to get in the Word. They're going to go to this book instead of believing the lies that people devise and put into their heads. Do you know what? Thirdly and most importantly, when you have a child who is a child of truth and integrity, they're able to do something that is so important. If you're still in Psalms, look in chapter 15. Psalm 15, look in verse 2. Psalm 15, verse 2. He who walks blamelessly and does what is right, notice this, speaks truth in his heart. You see, kids who love the truth tell themselves the truth. People who have honesty and integrity woven all through their character, they speak the truth inwardly. And that's important. Because that then enables them to say, you know what, I've sinned. I did something that was wrong. I did something I should not have done. I need to repent of that. And that is why. That is why a day will come that when they are confronted with the gospel, they will say, I'm a sinner. I need to repent. I need to obey God. I need to be baptized. I need to be forgiven of my sins. You see, a person who is truthful with themselves... They will bear responsibility for their own actions. Instead of trying to shove the blame onto somebody else, on society at large, or on mom and dad, or some other person, instead that person, that person who speaks truth in their heart, they will be humble enough to say, I need the Lord. and I need to change. And you see then why integrity is such a core issue. We don't always think about it in that way, but it is. It's right in there with faith and love for God. Because being able to speak the truth in their own heart, that determines so much about our children. And that's why we want to pray about that. We want to pray just right out of these Psalms. Dear Lord, bless my children with the ability to speak the truth in their heart. Lord, help me as a parent to focus in their lives whenever they are telling lies to me or to others or even to themselves. Help me, Lord, to bring the value of truth into their lives. Help my children. Help my children to be people of integrity. You pray that passage. Pray those passages. You see what God can do in answer to those prayers. Now, right about now, 
There's four. I promised four. Somebody's probably thinking, Joshua, where's where's Acts 2.38? You know, where's on your list something about, Lord, please bless my children so that they'll repent and be baptized and become Christians someday? Well, I figured that was a given. I expect that you're praying for that already. This morning what I want to do is I want to explore some other things, some other areas that we can add to that list of things to pray for our children. Maybe right now somebody's also thinking as you're examining that list and we've been talking this morning, maybe you're thinking, you know what? If I prayed like that, wouldn't that probably have an effect on my life? And the answer to that is, shh, don't say it too loud. Because that is what's going to happen. Something will happen to you if you pray like this. Because think about it. I can't pray for my kids to have godly friends, but then every time there's an opportunity for my kids to be around other kids of like precious faith, I say, no, we got to go home. we got to get home and do stuff. got to do homework. No, I'm not going to be that way. And if I'm going to pray for my children to have a generous heart, I cannot Sunday after Sunday after Sunday allow the collection plate to just go whizzing by without ever putting anything in, without ever giving sacrificially. And if I'm going to talk to God about self-image issues and ask Him to bless my child with real self-esteem, then I cannot do any less than just constantly affirm those truths of Ephesians 2, verses 8, 9, and 10, that our value and our worth, it comes from Christ Jesus and the grace that saves us to do His good works. And if I'm going to pray for my children to have integrity, then I cannot be modeling for them a pattern of lies and deception and deceit. When the boss calls at home and my child picks up the phone and says, Hello, who is it? And then I tell them, Hey, tell them I'm sick. Tell them I'm not here. I can't do that. I'll have to be a person of integrity. In all of this, I'll have to be living in my life what I am praying for my children. I sincerely believe that these are four great passages that we ought to be praying. Number one, because they clearly express the will of God. There's just no doubt about that. Secondly, they do help us to break out of some of that rote, cliché praying and lift our prayers to a higher level. But then thirdly, because they do challenge us, don't they? They challenge us to live in a better way. And so my prayer this morning is that not only will you take these ideas and go home and start praying them, but I hope that every parent here will seek to make that list longer. Four things is not enough. What other verses in Scripture speak to the concerns that are on your heart as a parent or as a grandparent? Or maybe just as someone who has a care and interest in the lives of these children. What can we pray from the Scriptures that will help our children's hearts and lives and very eternal souls? Add to that list. Pray those things earnestly for your kids. That, that would be good parenting. That would be parenting God's way. If you're using a songbook, be turning it to the song that's been selected as a song of invitation. As we extend the invitation of Jesus Christ, what is it an invitation to do? Well, it's an invitation to do what Ephesians 2 verses 8, 9, 10 talked about. It's an invitation to be saved by grace through faith. And the faith that's being described there is indeed an active and obedient kind of faith. Perhaps there's someone here this morning who is ready to take action to demonstrate that their faith is not just mentally accepting and they believe that God exists, but even more so, 
that they want to respond, they want to access that grace, they want to receive that wonderful gift of salvation. You can do that this morning by confessing faith in Jesus Christ as the Son of God, by repenting and turning away from sin, and yes, by being baptized for the remission of your sins this very day. You can become a Christian. You can become one of God's children saved by His grace. You are a Christian, but it may very well be that sin has entered back into the picture. You've allowed things to get you sidetracked from what you ought to be as a child of God. Brother or sister, the grace of God continues on. He's willing to forgive you and pardon you of whatever is amiss in your life. If you'll repent, you'll confess those things to Him. If you need to confess them to your brothers and sisters and seek our assistance as we pray for you and encourage you, then you have that opportunity as well. The invitation of the Lord is open to all. He's just waiting for some who will be willing to accept that invitation. Won't you do that? Do that right now while we stand and while we sing.